Now, sometimes there are stories that seem so far-fetched, they can't possibly be true. Take the case of parasomniacs, people who experience unwanted behaviors during sleep. We are talking complex actions here, even violent acts in some cases. Abnormal sleep behaviors are what our next guest actually investigates as part of his firm, Sleep Forensics Associates. Dr. Michael Kramer, Michelle Kramer Borneman joins us now. He's a lead investigator. Thank you so much for joining us. Pleasure to be here. Thank you. How do you define parasomnia? Yeah, I think that the, the easiest and general way to uh, define parasomnia is that parasomnias are a type of sleep disorder. There are many sleep disorders. Parasomnias is a specific type of sleep disorder that simply stated are inappropriate and unwanted experiences as well as behaviors associated with sleep. So in general, we talk about sleepwalking behaviors, but sleepwalking is just one type of parasomnia. Other examples might be nightmares. And we talk about sleepwalking, but that's generally what we're talking about. So how many people experience this? Well, this is really interesting because if we look at parasomnias, uh, we kind of have to look at sleep in general. And in an eight-hour period of sleep, we are either in non-REM, rapid eye movement, non-rapid eye movement sleep, or rapid eye movement sleep. And we have about four to six sleep cycles a night, and REM occurs every 90 minutes. So parasomnias can arise out of non-REM sleep. These are kind of the typical sleepwalking behaviors. And the other arises out of REM sleep. Now, in REM sleep, we have rapid eye movements. We typically have dreams in REM sleep, whether or not we remember it. But what's a hallmark feature of REM sleep is that our body is essentially paralyzed in REM sleep. And common sense would dictate that's probably a good thing because you certainly don't want to act out your dreams. But there is REM sleep behavior disorder, which is an actual pathologic condition, which lifts that paralysis off, which allows an individual to now act out their dreams. We now appreciate that REM sleep behavior disorder is not necessarily uncommon because it appears that those with REM sleep behavior disorder, that this is a harbinger or a precursor to conditions such as Parkinson's disease. This just may show itself first as that. So this is typically a fixed um, men, predominantly women as well, at age 55 and beyond, and it typically predates the formal diagnosis of, say, Parkinson's disease and other such disorders. So if we think about the prevalence of Parkinson's disease, not necessarily uncommon. Now, what we see from a forensic perspective are non-REM parasomnias. These are not associated with dreams and typically arise out of slow-wave sleep. I don't really see this as a pathologic condition. Rather, it is part of the normal human condition for which we are, are, are all vulnerable so we look at populations of sleepwalking as a type of non-REM parasomnia. If we look at non-REM parasomnia such as sleepwalking, very common in children. I think everyone would agree with that. It's, we all have family stories of children sleepwalking, and we typically grow out of it. So the peak prevalence of non-REM parasomnia such as sleepwalking occurs around age 12 to 14, and reported estimates are anywhere from 
12 to 20 percent of the child population has had some type of parasomnia, typically sleepwalking right. or sleep terrorism. So, but what, what is it that you, as, what is it that mature, you investigate? And it dissipates. And so it's a lower percentage so that those have sleepwalking, it goes down to 4 percent. So not necessarily uncommon. Right. What is it that you investigate, though? Because you investigate, it sounds like, some more unique cases. Yeah, so REM sleep behavior disorders, dream and active behavior, and often presents itself as violent behavior. However, that's a clinical issue, and REM sleep behavior is rarely associated with forensic implications. So the forensic implications have to do with sleepwalking events, and it typically involves individuals that have a history of these behaviors in childhood but never really grew out of it, and they continue to be vulnerable uh, to this into adulthood. Now, what happens is that there's a fragmentation in slow-wave sleep that now triggers an activated state, which allows an individual to now act out in complex manner without awareness or memory, though the brain is still globally offline and asleep. And sleepwalking is an example, but the behaviors that are associated with this are typically primitive behaviors, such as defensive posturing, predatory behavior, sexualized behaviors, or they can be overlearned behaviors, such as things that we can do out of muscle memory without thinking, things we can essentially do with our eyes closed, kind of like driving. I mean, you can drive a car. Probably it's, it's so automatic for you. So then now we're talking about behaviors that have modulated beyond conventional sleepwalking and now take on a more complex, more primal, perhaps a violent nature to it. Interesting. Okay, so do people actually claim that they commit crimes while they're sleeping? Uh, well, um, so I have been involved in many criminal cases over the years. Um, and uh, yes, uh, the defense attorney may consider that as a possible explanation. These are typically very bizarre behaviors that are uncharacteristic for the individual. They have no memory for it. And they, they clearly had done it, but how can you account for that? And so I'm typically very skeptical in these cases, but yet um, there are cases that are very legitimate. I've worked for both the prosecution and defense, but yes, uh, it, it can be an effective uh, defense if this is indeed uh, the condition that accounts for the criminal allegation. How, how do you figure that out? How do you figure out that, okay, no, this person really is impacted by this? They're not making this up. Right. Well, you, you can never know with certainty whether somebody can account for that. There, there's nothing. We can only do this by retrospective analysis. It's kind of like a profiler. A profiler can kind of set up a profile of, of the criminal and who might be vulnerable to these type of criminal actions. Well, in a similar manner, through our research and study of parasomnias, we have a pretty good idea of the possible behaviors that can arise from it. So, again, there are certain primitive behaviors that are consistent. They are typically simple uh, in nature. And at least in forensic implications, the victim is almost always an individual who is in close proximity to the vulnerable individual and may have been the individual that triggered it. So, there's a lot of behavioral pattern analysis that comes with research and direct experience to kind of know about the plethora of potential behaviors that can proceed and those that can't. Basically, 
behaviors that become more complex that have multiple steps in them are unlikely uh, to be a sleep-related violent attack. Interesting. Okay, so then can people, if they recognize this or that they are prone to do this, can they stop it from happening? Uh, yes. Uh, so uh, can we do it with, with 100% effectiveness? Well, nothing is 100% effective, unfortunately, in medicine. Um, but once we recognize that an individual is uh, indeed vulnerable to such behaviors, it typically has a history in the childhood that just, they just haven't outgrown, factors that can contribute to it would be anything that destabilizes sleep. Uh, that can trigger these events, uh, an abrupt, something that's abrupt that triggers an abrupt fragmentation out of deeper, slow-wave sleep. So one condition would be obstructive sleep apnea, a very common condition. Individuals have upper airway collapse, they snore, they can have breath-holding events. And with each breath-holding event, the brain will abruptly terminate that event by kind of kick-starting breathing. But in so doing, it can fragment sleep, and then that's that fragmentation is the foundation for these behaviors. So in individuals who continue to have that, you certainly want to treat underlying conditions such as obstructive sleep apnea. Another condition might be periodic limb movements. A lot of people might have regular leg movements and twitches. You want to be able to control that. Other factors that tend to increase this would be uh, sleep deprivation, insufficient sleep, because when you have less sleep, the brain will rebound and actually have more deep sleep to try to catch up on sleep. And it's deep sleep or slow-wave sleep, which is the foundation. So insufficient sleep uh, is a factor. You certainly want to address that. Uh, stress, uh, significant anxiety uh, can, can do that as well. So aside from addressing those uh, factors, uh, there are effective medications that can quell this. Uh, so we have medications, but then we also focus on safety in the home to try to recognize that nothing is 100% effective. And what can we do to kind of keep the, the behaviors within boundary, minimizing risks, such as making sure there are no weapons uh, nearby, uh, the individual sleeping. And in the United States, you know, firearms are very common, let alone beside the right. bed on the nightstand. Um you might want to put alarms on the door so that if um, these measures are taken, but an individual still has a potential to get out of bed, then you create barriers that would terminate the behavior, such as a door alarm, you know, things like that. So mm -hmm. there are many things you can do to minimize risk, and then there are uh, certain medications that can be effective. But again, nothing is 100%, so then you also focus on trying to ensure the safety within the environment. Oh, that is wild. Listen, thank you so much for talking to us about it this morning. Thank you. Thank you.